Hey, everybody, Code Pen Radio, number 396. I have Robert with me this week. What's up, Robert? Oh, not much. Just good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, good. You're literally about three feet away from me via us with a soundproof wall between us. All too rare yeah. that we do. The we're booth. Both, we're, both in, we're both in Bend at Code Pen World Headquarters. Uh, just kidding. We're, we don't actually have a world headquarters. As we learned last week, we're an all remote company. It's just, we just so happen to live in the same town. So we have a nice office together. Yeah, I get to crash at your office every once in a while. It's nice. Yeah. Gets me out of the house. Heck yeah. Right downtown in beautiful Bend, Oregon. So our plan was to talk about open source because it affects CodePen. It affects every every company ever, let's say. <laughs> Just vitally important topic. It's definitely something that, you know, benefits every company out there and small companies in particular. And it's it's something that's been near and dear to my heart for a while. So yeah, this will be fun. Yeah, I think the way that you interface with open source is a little more, I don't know, raw and direct than anybody else at CodePen, because you, you know, you have libraries that you work on and maintain you've just been involved with it and have kind of a natural inclination towards i don't know dealing with it or fixing problems that we have that way (laughs) yeah well i mean also i've been you know i've been around long enough that i've gotten to see the sort of the arc of the open source community really develops you know like i've been coding since like you know the 80s and when open source wasn't really a thing and so seeing like Seeing how it's it's just be- evolved, become this just like foundational piece of the entire software world is is pretty cool. And um, and I know I like I know what it's like to not have an open source community. So um, I, mm. I definitely appreciate where we are today. Um, and I I really you know I really do like that just that sense of the value that it brings and being able to give back. It's it's pretty nice. It's um, yeah. I mean, there's there's grandiose things we could say. Like it it is like better mankind to have the open source community. It's like a really super duper big deal, you know? It's about as big of a deal as the internet itself, really. Yes. There's also grandiose controversy with it. It's, you know, that I don't know that we'll be able to breach in this podcast. You know, like there's problems with it that are so big and that they're just even hard to talk. They, they deserve, like, you know, world-class journalism to get into them. Like, you know, who are the people that do this? Are, are they living their best life? Are they getting what they deserve out of this ecosystem? How do you monetize it? That kind of thing. Because there are problems with all that. I'm not sure we're ready to do that. Security in the NPM ecosystem. Like, yeah, right. Have fun with that. Uh-huh. We're going <laughs> to solve it in the next 25 minutes. Yeah, no problem. I don't know what's taking them so long. Uh, but let's talk about maybe we maybe we can scope it down to smaller things like examples of CodePen plus open source. I would think it's no surprise to most people listening to this that we don't have like all of CodePen, for example, is not open source. Um, we have open sourced kind of precious little throughout our career, and uh, you know you said to me before the show briefly that it's not that's not terribly rare especially for really small companies it's just not it's a like it's almost like calculus you have to perform internally there's a cost to doing open source and a lot of really small companies just choose not to pay it because of the very real costs involved yeah i mean especially for small companies but even large companies i think you know companies that really make substantive contributions to open source are much more the the rarity than the norm at, at any level, but especially for small businesses where, you know, I was like, what I was saying was like, it, you know, it takes a certain amount of effort to interact and contribute open source. And if you're a small company, like that fraction is a relatively large proportion of your 
your workday. Whereas if you have a large, you know, large company, like you can afford to have a few people that, that sort of disappear off into the weeds of open source projects every so often. But um, mm-hmm. small companies, uh, that that gets noticeable quick. Right, right, right. Um, there's, you know, there's an example here and there. I remember, I think we have, it's probably still there now. I'm not sure how relevant it is anymore, but the, some of the things that we've chosen open source have been really super hyper niche too. For example, one of the things we, um, that's just perennially an issue with like user generated code websites is, well, what if that user writes code that freezes the browser? That's it's it's just painfully easy to write an infinite loop in JavaScript, and if mm-hmm. you accidentally do that on CodePen, it can freeze the browser to the point where you can't even save the work that you are working on because the literally the browser tab is dead. We've run a, <laughs> it's just we knew that was a problem when we started CodePen, and we've we've solved it a whole bunch of different ways and benefited from other people's open source solutions. And at one point, we're like, yeah, we think we have a pretty good solution that works for us, and and open sourced it. But you know, guess how many stars that has on github like two you know well right right like open source open source is that code that exists in the you know at the intersection of problems you have and and problems that everybody else has yeah Um, and like how many people actually have that you know that that problem of like i want to run code and that you know from somebody else and i don't want to deal with infinite loops um, right. It, There's it, not very many companies, and the companies that, that do it might have their own internal solutions, as we often do. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, and these days it's actually hard to come up with ideas for open source projects that haven't already been done because there is such a huge community. You know, my, the projects that I, I deal with, um, you know, the big ones are UUID and, and the, MIME, mm-hmm. the MIME type modules and NPM. Um, and I mostly got into that because I was. At, you know, I was sort of there on the ground floor of, of Node and, and NPM back in the day. Um, and somebody had to write those, and I just happened to be there. Yeah, right. We could get into those a little more, but I thought we could talk about some of the, some recent... These are pretty micro examples, but I think they, they're probably reflective of like real-world small company interacting with open source community type of situations. Uh, one of them is... One of the points of using CodePen is using different processors that process your code. Meaning that, you know, if you want to write some less JS really quickly, you don't have to, like, make a folder locally and download the NPM dependencies and set up a watcher to build your stuff. You know, you're like, sometimes you just want to write some of that code and see the results. And a lot of people use CodePen for that. Thank you for doing so, by the way. Now, when we receive that code, we need to process it. And uh, there's enough bad people in the world that they're going to, they know that that's the case, that, that, that they can write code and that a code pen server will execute it. So what, what can they do to misbehave? Can they get that thing to mine Bitcoin or whatever? <laughs> right. And, and one of the problems that Less has is that it supports an import statement where you can actually point it at, you know, at a, at a random file and it'll execute that for you. On you know on CodePen servers prior to my arrival, I think Stephen had had created a fork of Less, the library, and gone in and been like, well, we're going to disable the ability to have import statements. Um, and so when I came in and was like, oh, I'm, I've got to you know rewrite process you know processors and specifically the Less processor for this new project we've got going, mm-hmm. um, I was looking at that and you know the Less project. There were other people that had kind of said like, hey, it'd be really nice if we could do this because we also want to be able to run less without having to worry about, you know, unsecure or, or malicious code doing bad things to our servers. 
yeah, so I, you know, I kind of jumped on that and was like, well, you know, here's kind of what we did with our solution. Um, and I, you know, I, I massaged it a little bit so that like, it, it had sort of a proper command line option that you could run from the command line and that, you know, and there was a mm-hmm. field for it in the API, like, you know, and put that up as a PR. Because it's kind of like you want to pass a true false value, right? You kind of, it's not like you're saying, please remove this from your open source library. I just want to, through the config, say, yeah, process it without that feature. Yeah, and it, like the directive is like, ignore import directives or something. I don't remember. It's, yeah, it's right. some flag like that. But um, yeah, but like, there was, a, there was sort of two reasons for that. One is like, it helps other people that have the same issue. That particular issue had been up for a while. I think, I think Stephen may have actually created it initially. And, you know, so it was like a year or so old and had some, you know, had some conversation and I was like, well, let's see if we can solve this problem. Um, and, um, you know, it, like you go back and forth with the, the maintainers and like you start that conversation with like, Hey, I'd like to I'd like to fix this problem. Is that something you'd be amenable to? Would you be willing to take a PR on this? Um, and in this case, I think they were they were um, receptive to that idea. And so ultimately, like that is now a thing on the main less code base. It's out there. It's been published. Like you can now use this flag, which is great because we don't we no longer have to maintain our fork. Um, and that's huge. yeah, that's huge because it was our fork was a monkey patch too. It's not like we. It's not like we could use the canonical less and then apply a, some kind of file-based patch to it or something. It was not that. We had to go into the internals and change code, and that means you're forever going to be reapplying that patch to their updated one. And that sucks. You want to use the canonical thing if you can. Yeah, and like, you know, somebody will eventually get around to looking at that, that our, our version of that fork and be like, oh, yeah, we're like 37 commits behind the main, you know, the main fork. And oh, like, yeah, gee, tell I me about if there's it. useful stuff in there that we want, you know. So, yeah, like you, forks are, you know, they're, they're useful, and, but also like they are a real burden. This podcast is brought to you by Split the Feature Management Experimentation Platform. What if a release was exactly how it sounds? A moment of relief. Ah, escape from slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers. Free for teams and your features with Split by attaching insightful data to feature flags. Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works, turn off what doesn't, and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can safely deliver up to 50 times faster and exhale. Split feature management and experimentation, what a release. Reimagine software delivery. Start your free trial and create your first feature flag at split.io slash codepen. Thanks so much for the support. There's some a difference in like, I don't know, attitude and effort and stuff there. Uh, um, that's that's interesting to me that I I don't know, I should think about harder. Whereas I'm like, okay, I have some problem or I I have some idea or something for an open source library. It's one thing to open the issue and just say, you could could even do a great job with the issue. You could explain exactly what you want to do. You explain what you've tried. You could explain like an an imagined situation that would solve your problem. And you can can do a great job with that. But no matter what you do, it kind of, in a way, pales in comparison to the PR, so that you can explain all that stuff and then say, <laughs> here's a, you know, an alteration to your code that you can directly look at that, that would solve this. That's just such a big deal. It's like night and day. Yeah, well, I mean, as a, as a, 
project maintainer, I think there's there's sort of a hierarchy of contributions in, in terms of the value. And the, you know, the first thing is the bug report of somebody saying like, "Hey, here's a, I'm getting this error message." Like, and that's what a lot of the, a lot of people get. And it's like, eh, okay, uh, I can't really do much with that other than like you know, sort of nod my head and agree in sympathy. Um, and then you get you know, get people that submit issues that have like you know, actual like you know, substantive examples of, of how to reproduce the issues. And like, okay, well, I, this actually like gives me something I can dig into. Um, and then at the, like, you know, the next step up, which is pretty high in the, you know, in the, in the, on the hierarchy of, of value are the people that are willing to put PRs together who are like, okay, I've taken the time to understand what your project does and, and try to add value. And, um, and, and those are great because you have, um, you know, you have actual code you can look at. You have, you know, normally you'll have test cases or at least examples of like, okay, here's here's what this code, here's the code, and here's how it actually transforms the behavior of the project. And you know, and those are really nice. Like, I'm I, I love getting that for the the projects I'm on, but they're also really rare. Like, very few people actually take the time to do that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, good point. So the fact that you, you know, the, the issue was already described, we also kind of had, a, in a way, permission to do the do the PR, which is kind of nice, too. It's kind of mm-hmm. nice to, to, to ask that ahead of time. I almost wish there was a, like a better social convention for that, some kind of like verb or term or something that says, are you amenable to PRs or not? Boolean answer. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the open source community, like it's it is the entire cross section of the developer world. Like, you know, I don't know. Imagine it like going to some you know some comic con somewhere where you're just you're dealing with like every character imaginable. Um, <laughs> it's, really, right. know, it's like how grumpy so, are you? <laughs> right. So like, it, and it, it applies to both maintainers and contributors, and and you know, and the poor suckers at the end of the line that just want to use the freaking code and not have to deal yeah. with the the people involved. But. Uh, you know, and that that's one thing that like we could probably go down a whole path there about sort of the the ethos and etiquette of of open source. Um, you know, we were sort of uh, I think Alex was did come across a a project the other day where like the the maintainer had just kind of clearly had it. It was like, look, I'm done with dealing with you guys, and he like archived the project. <laughs> he found the exact moment where yeah. where he ranted about somebody's kind of because probably somebody asked him something probably a little unfair. So we didn't we didn't in the screenshot we didn't see what he was asked, but he was <laughs> he was like, oh, hold on, muchacho, you you know you come here and ask me for this code, you know. Yeah, somebody had asked him to commit to a date by which he would fix some some issue that had been open for you know six months, and the guy was like, basically, like, this is open source, dude. I don't do schedules. Yeah, and And then then that was the first response. He's like, not, I'm not doing this. And then three days later, he's like, this entire project is canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Like my my heart just went out to that guy. I I felt so bad. (laughs) Like, dude, I have been there, and um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and so like, yeah, like as a as a contributor, I try to be I try to be very respectful. of that as a maintainer i will admit i definitely I, my my the little devil on my shoulder definitely lets me lets me unleash at times there, it's almost like you know i was at a hotel last week and there was some there was some problems with the hotel room and some various things you're almost like trained as a person to be like if there's a problem then you you know you get on the phone or you go down to the front desk and say hey 
this hotel room, the water doesn't get hot. There's something wrong with this thing. When, when, you, when is this going to be fixed? That like almost translates into an open source library and you're like, hey, there's a problem with this code. When is it going to be fixed? But like the, the, that dynamic does not map well. Yeah, the, the, the hotel analogy does not work in the open source world. It's, no. it's more like, like open source is more like you go into the alley behind the hotel and you know if you're looking for a place to stay, well, there's a dumpster that happens to be there and somebody's like <laughs> politely put it out for you. But you don't right. get to complain about what's in the bottom of that dumpster. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. Uh, but still, your brain probably has trouble with that sometimes, or some people's does. Uh, another example is, so we're sitting around the office here, and we're watching the, you know, the Apple keynote slash <laughs> next 13 announcement. You know, uh, that was just a dumb joke. Yeah. There, but it was a very, very put together, fancy kind of watch the stream of this event thing where they were releasing the next version of Next, which, you know, is by Vercel and by all accounts are doing very well. And it was a cool release and good for them. Um, and it was, you know, it was like, okay, in the new thing, there's a new, there's like a new folder in the next world where instead of calling pages, it's called app or something right, like that. I don't right. really know. And if you put your stuff in app, you kind of got to say, is this, I don't know, a server side component or not? It's like a new directive. Right. So like next, next 13 is much more deliberate about like, we're going to try and render stuff on the server by default. And then, you know, like, I don't know, magic happens there. I have no idea what the hell they do, but yeah. there is this distinction between server side rendering and client side rendering. And next 13 is like, well, we're going to render stuff on the server if at all possible, but you've got to tell us if you want it to be rendered on the client. Like if you're doing some fetch in the client and you can't render on the server. Yeah. Yep. You've got to tell us, and the way you do well, that... tell us, that's the clutch part, right? Well, right, how do right. you tell them, Robert? Right, <laughs> thank you, Chris. Mm. Uh, you, you tell them by putting a little directive at the top of your file, your component file that's in, literally, in quotes, use client. So in, in much the way, the same way you would do use strict for people that are familiar yeah. with that. Like there's a new directive there that you can put at the top of your... Um, at the top of your it's file. It's awfully weird to just see a string just sitting there at the top of the file, but it is right. valid JavaScript, so right. whatever, you know. And there's even precedent for it. Like, yeah, you know, there is a precedent. use strict directive. But if you happen to use a, a prettier and you and you want your imports ordered properly, there's a plugin called Prettier Import Order or Import Sorter, something like that. Yeah, um, which I give a 10 out of 10, and I freaking love it, and I hate it when Im imports are just randomly, because then you're constantly looking at PRs where people just moved around imports. It's totally irrelevant. Anyway, it's a wonderful little plugin that I'm glad exists, but... Right, and we use it because, well, we use it because it lets us be specific about, like, how we want things ordered, and, like, do we want, you know, like, local imports to appear below ex external imports. Anyway, it's yeah, very configurable, exactly. which is great. Um, the problem was if you if you happen to be running that and you put use client at the top of your file, it will automatically drop it below all your imports and wrap it in parentheses for reasons I don't quite understand, which completely disables that that functionality. So it, it like ordering your imports would break your your Next.js 13 client side component. And I, I happened to run into this because I was the first one at code in our, you know, in engineering here to actually like be like, I want to build something with Next.js Next 13. And yep. I ran into this and it was like, oh, crap. Like, I have to be really careful about when I touch this file to not hit command S, which is what triggers the prettier plugin and let it and let VS Code just sort of quietly auto save in the background. And that got super annoying, super quick. Yeah, there is a command. It's like, I think once you bring up the command palette, you can say save without formatting that at least you can do it on demand. But still, like, that's obnoxious. But it, it reminds me of just how, how rippling the open source community can be. 
I don't blame Next.js for this for this choice that they made, but they did make it, and it's a relatively weird syntax, even though there is precedent for it. Fair enough, but now it now who knows what other problems that caused? You know, it, it's got to kind of do its thing throughout the community. And right. it's just funny. And then and who's left to mop that up? Well, I don't know. Some dude in Bend, Oregon, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know, so I ran into it and I, I was like, well, let me see what I, you know, what's going on here. And eventually it led to an issue on the pretty, prettier plugin, you know, uh, prettier import sort plugin, whatever it was. Um, and I was like, well, you know, and there were like, like 15 people had already sort of liked or commented on that. And it had been there for, you know, a couple of months since next 13 came out. And I was like, well, somebody's got to solve this. So I sort of dug into it um, and mm-hmm. ended up putting up a PR. And in like the 10 days between when I put the PR up and it, it actually ended up getting merged, like 15 people had hearted it. And they're like, I was like, it was nice. Like I got to actually feel like I was solving problems, not just for me and not just for CodePen, but for, you know, a much broader cross section of the community. And I like that, I don't know. That to me is, is one of the reasons why I code. Like I enjoy, do, I get a visceral sort of you know, reward from doing stuff like that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a, maybe that's, I mean, not even maybe, like that is, must be part of the fuel of open source. Anyway, it's so easy to point at all the, the downsides and the pain and the grumpiness and the, you know, lack of monetization and all that stuff. And you're like, holy cow, there's so much wrong with this. And, and yet, it, here it is existing. Why? And the why is because of that that, you know, it's almost like a dopamine hit for nerds, you know, you're like, oh, I, was like okay. so I, did, I did it. You know, for me, the, like the, the, the value I, that comes in to me from open source is that when I run into a problem these days, I can drill down into it and like, I can go all the way to the, I can go all the way down, all the way through the dependency chain to the very bottom of the code base, like be it, you know, some C, you know, some C plus plus file or whatever in the bowels of node, I can be like, okay, I have access to the entire stack I'm sitting on and I have the ability to fix it. Um, and that's not something that used to exist. Like, you know, back in the eighties, pre open, you know, pre like open source being ubiquitous, like you would get to, you know, you get to, into your stack and you drill down and you'd run into a giant brick wall that Microsoft or Apple or somebody had put up on their, op- on their operating system and the, or whatever technology you were sitting on top of. Um, and so I'm profoundly grateful for that. Like I have, I have sort of this self fulfilling destiny now. Like if I have a problem, like I have the ability to solve it and I didn't used to have that. And that was intensely frustrating. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but you know, no, I like it. I like that's it. for me is where that that sort of energy and, and drive to engage with open source really comes from is is that you know that appreciation for like you know being able to, to do my own thing. Um, it's pretty cool. So much of it, so much of it, what we've talked about so far is relatively centered around GitHub and GitHub existing. So that's interesting. Although I, that was kind of a lead up to say that not all of it, though, there are ways to, to kind of talk about and, and influence open source outside of it. And I'm specifically talking about a moment that um, I di- it didn't quite lead to any PRs or any open tickets or anything. But so many companies now have a discord where you pop into it. And, you know, I'm a, I, I've been members of at least half a dozen of them where I kind of want to see what the community is is talking about and how they're handling problems and stuff. And that came up uh, recently-ish with us. Right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's actually a good point because we are seeing sort of the, the maturation, I'm not sure that's the word, but, the, you know, the growth of open source, not just in adoption, but also the, the, the depth of, 
of support you have. And in these days, it's pretty, you know, especially for larger projects, it's pretty common to have, uh, you know, an, an, an online community that's just right there that's willing to help out. And, you know, for us, like we use Cloudflare and we, we've been work, you know, working with the watcher, um, not sorry, not the watcher, like durable objects. And I had a question about durable objects a while back, which was, you know, what's the life cycle of the object? Like Cloudflare is really great at saying like, here's how you create a durable object. But there wasn't much about, hey, when does this go away? Yeah. You know, I think we alluded yeah. to that. I think we alluded to that on the durable object podcast a while back. But I ended up, I ended up like kind of getting an answer, or at least as good an answer as, as I was going to get by going online to the Discord community that you know that Cloudflare hosts. And there's you know there's hundreds of people in there, including engineers from Cloudflare. Um, and it's all just built into the, you know, into their, you know, um, their Wrangler project, their, you know, and the durable, um, the durable object community that they, you know, that they're building around their open source offerings there. Yeah, pretty cool. And, it, you know, like I said, it didn't, uh, it's not like we we're open tickets or anything, but you, you it almost accomplished the same kind of thing is that you can get an idea seeded into the minds of the people that build this thing that is ultimately open source, you know. Like, oh, look, people are actually asking about this. Maybe we should build it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked earlier about, like, you know, if you have, if you want to submit a PR, like, asking, like, are you going to be receptive to this is, is you know, it's sort of polite. But having an entire community that you can go to, and I think they actually have, like, an ideas and, you know, features and ideas, like, sub-channel and Discord, where you can just throw ideas out there of, like, hey, I... Is this something that you know that the engineering team behind you know behind Wrangler or durable objects or or workers or whatever would be inter- would be receptive to and like you can get you can sort of take the temperature of the community as a whole to those ideas um, and that's a tremendous form of feedback um, for somebody that you know that might be interested in participating in, in these communities. Yeah, it's just interesting and I think it draws some people because there's a little bit of a real time nature to it that you're like sometimes you're in a hurry when you have a bug. Yeah, and uh, and, uh, and there's some chance that that if you use the kind of the Discord model, that you're helped quicker than you might be if you just post something on a forum or on GitHub or whatever. And I, it's not always true. <laughs> you might hear back eight hours later, but I'm sure that helps them yeah, get a little months. adoption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, it's, if it's one of my projects, <laughs> I, I, I will confess I'm not a, I'm not super good at responding in a timely manner. Um, so yeah. for those of you that have run into my projects, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, all good. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation. We just, just I wanted to, you know, talk about things not too broadly because, like I say, it's it was just it's, it's hard to breach the topic of open source. Generally, uh, it's more interesting to talk about little specific things, you know, as examples. And I think we did that. So yeah. All right. Yeah, rock and roll. We'll get you back again. We have some some other topics we are uh, we are scoping out. So look forward to hearing Robert again, probably one more time before our before our break. I haven't. I don't think I've mentioned it on the show, but obviously we're really close to four hundred. We're going to get up to four hundred and then just take a little tiny break for this show while we I, I finish up the big project. I want, I want that number. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Or maybe it just goes up to four hundred three. It'll just be dead air. It'll be a half hour of silence. (laughs) (laughs) Robert got found. (laughs) We are just the perfect company to do that. I think. All right, we'll talk to you later. See ya. All right, take care, man. One.